It's America, man. If you walk through the garden, you better watch your back. Well, I beg your pardon for the state in Cast reporting to you live from a basement somewhere below everything, and there's lots of construction going on. So we're going to try to do a show about The Wire this week. But before we get into that, we need to do introductions. To my right, sir, if you would. I'm Caleb Masters, and uh, yo, man, you can't call this a podcast. Podcasts end. There you go. Very well. Good job. To my left, sir, if you would. My name is Dalton Stewart, and you... Mulder, motherfucker, don't you even think about coming back and murder. Don't even think about that shit. And across the table, if you would, sir. I am Arthur Gordon, and Masters, you give good podcast. I wish we could do this more often. <laughs> <laughs> very, very good. My name is Dustin Sells, and I let you guys all hear and all play because this is America, and I have to let that happen. <laughs> Gotta let them play. <laughs> Gotta let them play. It's America. It's America. Uh, and I'm so, so glad to be here talking about The Wire. Dear listener, this is a warning. This is not a review show. It's an analysis show. There will be spoilerific spoilerage throughout the show. Um, but first, we'll begin with a quick synopsis and our quick thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews. And after that point, we get into our analysis, and that's going to require us to talk about the ins and outs and intricacies of this television program known as The Wire. So without any further ado, Mr. Arthur Gordon, voice of the cinema, this time voice of the small screen if you would give us that synopsis the baltimore drug scene seen through the eyes of drug dealers and law enforcement really that's it it's not even a complete sentence that's it. that is not even grammatically correct because i and we have a predicate seen through the eyes of a Drug dealers and law enforcement. Don't you have to have the word "is"? You have to have a, a B verb in there. I, I think it's seen. Um, no, I don't. I don't so think is seen. Is seen, but yeah, without the "is," it's we don't not have the helping verb. You we don't have the helping. Verb. You need a helping verb. It's not. It's, yeah, it's, it's it's a dangling. Um, there predicate. are no English professors on this podcast. There. Whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> there are there, three the, of us with an English degree on this <laughs> podcast right now. That that was a pathetic display from the IMDb. That's I am a, diagramming right over here on my <laughs> whiteboard. Like, 
learning uh, about their work and writing about it. And then he wrote another book called A Year on the Corner, uh, where he followed uh, drug dealers and junkies and, and wrote about their lives. Um, so David Simon's experiences, you know, observing these worlds and learning about them, I think, went into a lot of the r- realism of the show. And, and that's something you'll hear people talk about a lot when they talk about The Wire is the realism. And obviously I've never been a, you know, police officer or drug dealer in Baltimore, Maryland, so I can't speak to that. But all I know is it doesn't look like television, if that makes sense. It almost at, at times it really does seem like you're watching a documentary, um, which I think is interesting. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Caleb Masters, what say you um, in quick review terms? I, I had a quick review terms. Dalton literally just said it all. Uh, the the writing on this show, I think I want to point ahead, the writing on this show is phenomenal. Uh, such a all the vernacular, like Dalton was saying, you feel like you're watching a documentary because in TV people don't talk like that. Even if they're doing a period piece or they're trying to capture a certain geography, they don't talk like this in every single episode of the show. Uh, it's it's incredible, and uh, honestly, the best comparison I can I, I, I always the the, com- the comparison that always comes to my mind is a tale of two cities, the, the Charles Dickens novel, because this show, much like that novel, that was um, is trying to capture tell the story of a city, and is trying to capture what is the city like in this period of time. So we're talking post nine eleven, we're talking early two thousands, and it like, it like Dalton said, it feels like a documentary, which is crazy because it's a TV show. But because it, it is so uh, so driven to actually capture the details of how people talk, how things look, the show spends a lot of time trying to capture the aesthetics. So it's very immersive, uh, and all of those things uh, all play into this real the, the realism feel that Dalton was talking about. Um, I will say the show does have a learning curve. Uh, I was one of those mm-hmm. people, Dalton, I mentioned. Uh, I was probably three or four in, and I was like, what is the deal with the show? It's, it's, this is a pro-watchers show only, and I don't mean to down-talk people, but this is a show you have to really want to watch. And even if you really want to watch it, you really have to watch the first season before you really know if you're all in. Well, Much like Game of Thrones, it is a show where you're getting a lot of vernacular and a lot of names thrown at you, and you, it's very easy to get lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and... and HBO is good at finding shows that that really is taking a gamble on whether or not people are going to be able to connect to them, I think. Um, And, and, you know, I think that first scene sets the the thesis for the show. Mm -hmm. If if Snob Boogie always does the same thing every single time, why do you keep letting it happen? Well, this is America. You have to let him play. Some things never change. And in a bureaucracy... Some things are never going to change, and there's just going to be this endless cycle that repeats itself. But I think that's something The Wire does a very good job, even in those early episodes of setting up, and then by the end of the series, they kind of bring that back around. But that's something to me, you know, TV shows are all about action, doing things, making shit happen, and then The Wire, it's just about keeping your head above water. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and absolutely, I think it's, uh, The Wire is a lot more interesting. I, 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 I once wrote a piece uh, a couple of years ago uh, about The Wire when I'd finished watching the show, and um, uh, to keep it long, short-winded, I feel like we watch a lot of TV. That's great pulp fiction. We love watching TV. It's a lot of fun. The Wire, much like Game of Thrones, um, is literature, visual mm-hmm. literature. Yeah. In the way it's structured is like literature. Each yes. episode is the chapter of a book. I mean, it fe- has that feel more so than almost any other show I've ever watched. Definitely. And that's why I compare it to A Tale of Two well, Cities. One has a very sprawling narrative the longer Huge. the show goes yeah, on. There's yeah, no, there's no main character in this show. No. It, it, it is all about... Um, 
capturing the the, the city and like you said the, these cycles uh, mm-hmm. and how, well, how cycles of violence and poverty and yeah yeah absolutely well thank you very much Mr. Caleb Masters Mr. Arthur Gordon perhaps you can uh, temper some of the heat we've heard so far uh, the writing is very good as is the acting uh, but for some reason uh, this just doesn't do anything for me uh, I couldn't get invested in it and I don't know if it's because I was tired or just not feeling it but I, I really couldn't get in into the story. And that's what I said after two episodes, after the first and second episode. And I, I turned it off, and I wasn't going to revisit it. But I went ahead, and I watched the third episode. And Per our requirement for the viewing, for, the viewing. for this podcast. Mm-hmm. And it, it gave me a new hope, because there are some moments of dialogue and scenes, and especially the cold open from that first episode, mm-hmm. which really, I think, set the tone and the playing field for this Definitely. show on the whole. What was it about the third episode that brought you, was there anything in particular that kind of brought you back in? There's a certain scene that I'm going to talk about in my analysis is the chess scene. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it's a great yeah, scene. Yeah, that, that, uh, that, that's a show that brought me in too. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it renewed my hope in the show, and I, I'll probably go ahead and watch it at some point because I am interested. And I do like police procedurals, and mm-hmm. I, I like I love character-driven stories, and I think this is right there. I love Idris Elba, mm-hmm. and I haven't got to see yeah. a lot of him yet. He shows, yeah, Stringer oh. Bell's uh, role uh, is really huge in the third season, yeah. but later in the first season he gets more to do, but it, that's king stays the king, man. But I, uh, the the writing really is sharp, and the social commentary is really powerful, and it's hard to ignore. Mm-hmm. And there's just there's a really nice array of characters introduced so far, and I think they gel well. So I, I'll probably keep giving it a, a, a go go for. Well, it's hard not to approach the show academically. I, I think I think this is a show that's really conducive to our analysis, and it's definitely probably too good for the good trash genre cast. Honestly, it's not good trash. It is. I, I mean. I think Harvard was the first school to teach a class related to the wire. Um, I mean, there are colleges around the country teach classes about the wire. I, that's my introduction to the wire other than just knowing through it, uh, knowing about it through pop culture was a class I took at the university of Oklahoma um, or the university of central Oklahoma. I didn't go to that one. Uh, the university of central Oklahoma taught by Dr. Amanda Miller called men, masculinity and HBO's the wire. And that was what we focused on. But I mean, there's classes that talk about city planning, um, and how you build a city and where you zoning laws that talk look at the wire. I mean, it's it's hard not to because it's so invested in an academic world. I think. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Well, what I would say is, um, pr- precisely based on what you're talking about, how there are classes turn- t- taught at the University of Central Oklahoma and Harvard. Um, how there are a great many people who I respect greatly. Uh, one of my favorite podcasts to listen to is That's a Wrap, which is uh, hosted by three um, film studies PhDs, and all they do is talk about movies and pop culture mm-hmm. and the things they're interested in. You know, sort of do what we do. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and uh, academic get accessible is their um, tagline. I like that. Which is uh, sort of kind of what we're trying to do here too. Yeah, and we so, say smart things, but then I make a lot of dick jokes. Right, and uh, you do a lot, <laughs> really too often, but that's a whole other discussion. Um, what I would say about The Wire, and I only watched three episodes. You kind of show a lot. I'm sorry, that's a wrap. Do they talk about The Wire a lot? That, well, one of, the, one, of the, um, one of the hosts talks about how it's the best TV show ever. And uh, it's, it's a person whose opinions I've been listening to for quite a while now, and I really respect. And and, and really, there's a whole lot of folk, um, including Mr. Dalton Stewart. Don't tell him that I respect him because Aww. I'll deny it in public. Aww. But um, uh, and, and Mr. Caleb Masters, also whom I respect, and I would never tell anyone publicly that that is true. Whoops. Um, that they, they really like the show. And I watched three episodes of this, and I was completely underwhelmed. Mm-hmm. I, I just I – was, I was bored. Yeah. 
I, I, I was I thought, okay, this is sort of like Law and Order with more swearing, less closure, and more continuity, and that's <laughs> that's it. I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm seeing a cop procedural, and there, and it, it's taking much longer to proceed, and they cuss more, and uh, so okay, and, and and really, that's what I kept going. Okay, when when does the magic happen? And, and I I'm I'm saying these things, believing that the magic does happen, but um, for three episodes. Typically, a TV series has got to make the magic happen. And what I want to say in review is this, is that HBO bought the entire season. And this is almost a problem and really something that Caitlin and I looked at with The Strain as well. Yep. In, in, in that there is no um, shopping around of a pilot, mm-hmm. of just a pilot, just trying to get the show made. And because of that, there is no onus placed on the uh, directors of the individual episodes nor of the screenwriters to make sure that everyone is hooked in, sutured in, mm-hmm. and, and, and wanting to see the show. They're, they're taking a, a sort of uh, leisurely, luxurious <laughs> sort of um, pace. And I, I believe, I do believe, I honestly believe that this is going to get great. But um, as far as my viewing of just the first three episodes, I was like, this is super meh. Plenty of people feel that way. I mean, you're definitely not alone. No, no, no. I mean, I mean Dustin, I'm, I, I'm totally with you. This was a show, uh, if, if, to give you any uh, time, it took me almost two years to, to finish this show from start from the time I started the first episode to the time I made it to the finale. And part of that was a lot of dragging the first season where you're like, I, I don't really get it. I don't really understand. Like, yeah, it's, this is, I know this is supposed to be good, right? But like you said, there's no magic. There's not that aha moment. There's not like that. Okay, all right, let's keep watching. What's what's going deal? It, like you, you have to. You really have to be all in for that first season. And really, I would rather it had been more labyrinthine. Like I couldn't follow it. That would almost have made it better. I mean, I, there, there was sort of a, a, a mushy character development that goes on in those first three episodes, and you're not sure who's that guy again. Oh yeah, that's that guy. And you, you sort of know them by their faces, but you haven't quite learned their names yet. Yeah. But there's a little bit of that. But I, I mean, you, you follow exactly what's happening. Okay, this drug dealer is making this deal. This this power grab has made this result. This because of this event uh, in in a court case, this person's been demoted. Okay, I get that. I'm following all of those individual steps, and I'm like, and wow me. And it wasn't doing. I, and I'll, I'll tell you this um, again. For me, I was hooked by that first scene. I don't know I what it was. I love that first scene, and I was hooked, and I stayed with it. Uh, and again, I was forced to watch it for a class. So I was but watching I it. Th- I don't think it lived up to its pledge. The the rest of the first episode does. Well, and, and that's what I was going to say. It probably takes five to six episodes um, into the first season for you to, for it to go from okay to oh okay. And I would say it takes. Up into the third season for it to go from being great to greatest. Yeah. I think the third season is really where it cements its place as must-watch, must-consume, yes. must-think-about viewing. But again, I think in the first se- even in the first season, it gets great. Uh, it just doesn't become... It, the, the magic, the wowing factor, I, I think, happens probably towards the end of season two. Okay. But I think it gets, I think it gets damn near perfect by the end of season one. I really do. Well, and, and I, I, do, I do think that... Part of the advantage of this show is um, seeing the big picture. You know, I I will say I've only watched the show all the way from start to finish the one time, Same. and I was able to appreciate this these first four episodes a lot more because it's, unlike most network TV and even a lot of cable TV, you don't have to waste your time getting introduced to all these characters because you already know who they are. Mm-hmm. 
that's a huge advantage if you know who they are. But if you when you don't know who they are, like by the time you're, it's almost hard hard to keep up with what's going on because you're like, okay, I, I recognize these faces. Okay, now how are they connected? Okay, who works for who? Yeah. What's going on? Why oh, do I care who this is? Why, why yeah. do I? And okay, and yeah, and after after you figure out who they are, why do I care about them? Mm-hmm. And, and by that point, you're like, oh, we're at the end of uh, what, episode two. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, what's the deal? Which kind of makes it easy for the, the fan base of the show to be self-indulgent because, as you just said, once you watch the whole series and you go back, it's kind of like seeing old friends again. And like, yes. oh, you just wait to what happens to you. Like, it's it's kind of exciting. So yeah. I, I, it's easy. It, it's a show that's easy to be self-indulgent. So what I would say is this, is I want to still go ahead and give this show a couple thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Even because there's nothing it does wrong. Yeah. It's just it hasn't done... It, again, it hasn't brought the thunder yet, but I, 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 I give it two thumbs up, believing, again, because of people I trust and people I respect, none of whom are in this room, um, <laughs> that um, this is going to do just that, and that, that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I was like, okay, I, I really do believe that. I appreciate your faith. But um, what I've seen so far has not, um, has not in any way legitimized that belief as of yet. And so I just want to, you know, I mean, uh, there are moments, there, there's a magic moment with the chess game. There is a magic moment when we're talking about Snot Boogie or whatever his name Snot was. Snot Boogie. And, uh, you know, th- th- there, there are these little little magic moments that happen, but they're so small. Mm-hmm. And, and, and really, it's like, oh, did, you know, does, did, you know, does this, does this shine? Does the sun shine on a dog's ass right now? Mm-hmm. Is that all that's was happening? Gotcha. Or is it, or is this a moment where oh okay, this is this is this is the promise that's being made that's going to get fulfilled uh, later on. So that's that's all I would say in review is that I I'm hopeful, but as of now I'm not impressed. You know, fair. And and, and that that again this is singly singularly three episode viewing. Um, that we're talking about at this point. So, but let's let you know we're not here to do this. We're here to do analysis, and so let's let's do that right now. Let's rock this thing out with some really serious analysis. Arthur Gordon, voice of the cinema, magic bringer, and uh, temperance bringer to the uh, the rhetoric that talks up the show. What analysis bring you? I want to hit on a few different things. Uh, with my analysis, not a lot here, but there's some key things I wanted to highlight and point out. And the first thing is what I've already mentioned. That's the chess analogy scene uh, with D'Angelo Barksdale uh, in the third episode. Uh, this scene is just, it's a great example of the writing from The Wire, I think. And will probably kind of sets the tone for the show. Um, D'Angelo speaks of these pieces and he's uh, looking at chess board and he's looking at the chess pieces talking about uh, the way they move and comparing that to what they do in the business of moving drugs and and the king, you know, the king doesn't change and the queen gets crap done and all of this stuff and the rook, uh, the rook he equates with the stash and he shows them how these pieces all move and they ask about the pawns. Um, what he doesn't spell out for us, though, is that the pawns, while being the soldiers on the front line, are also expendable, uh, which I think will become key probably to the show and some foreshadowing being set up here. Um, whether it's the pawns for the city or the pawns even for uh, Barksdale, it doesn't matter. There are pawns that play on both sides of the law. Also, he doesn't emphasize how important it is to make a move. Uh, in the game of chess, every move counts. And so I feel like that's something that we'll see play out over the course of the season, and it's something he foreshadows with the mentioning of the rook or the castle, uh, he calls it, as being the stash, and he talks about it moving side to side or uh, vertically or horizontally, uh, which foreshadows 
what happens with the failed sting at the end of the episode because they have moved the stash on the the police. Yeah, well, this is a nice foreshadow. I like that a mm-hmm. lot. And so that's 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 just really good writing at work. Uh, the next thing I want to point out is the technology. Uh, there's this constant reference to the technology in the film. Uh, the narcotics team, the the team that's being put together here to do this investigation on Avon. Uh, Avon? No. Avon, yeah. yeah. Avon Barksdale. Um, they have this extremely old uh, setup, including typewriters, very old computers, very outdated equipment. Uh, it's like they're stuck in the 80s. While this those, is, it's 2002. Yeah. yeah. Uh, while those uh, investigating high-profile cases, uh, especially cases somehow related to that chap named Osama um, in that early decade. Nice drop. Are using the newest state-of-the-art equipment that is out there. Mm-hmm. It reflects this idea that the war on drugs is dated and that nobody thinks uh, it'll make a difference to get a win there. It's old-school technology representing an outdated mindset, competing with a modern technology, uh, representing this flavor-of-the-month detective work that feeds into the hype and hysteria of the major crisis of the month, and in this case is terrorism, which kind of became this uber distraction in post 9-11 america shazam brother that's all i want to say well done well said okay do say more (laughs) i just wanted i want i got i need to amen and shazam you uh tell me arthur there's more (laughs) there's more but wait there's more this one's a screamer (laughs) Uh, which moves into the next point after technology that is the post 9-11 world that we're getting here uh we're in 2002 I would assume filming is early 2002, late 2001, mm-hmm. so right after the 9-11 event. Uh, one of the most intriguing aspects within the writing of The Wire is this very grounded and realistic focus that doesn't get caught up in the hysteria of 9-11. What The Wire does is say our government gets so caught up trying to be Big Brother and going off to save the world that it misses the problems on the home front. The Wire uses drugs as that attack on the home front. It holds up that mirror to America and reminds us that we can't see the forest for the trees. And that sometimes our biggest issues and our biggest problems are sitting right next door, but Uncle Sam likes to distract us with some foreign boogeyman. All that being said, in the opening scene, in the very first episode, we find this kid who's who's been murdered. We open on the crime scene, Mm -hmm. and McNulty's there, and he's interrogating a witness, or not really questioning, he's interrogating. He's just making conversation. Um. So we find out about this kid who's getting murdered, who's been murdered. Uh, one of his friends or acquaintances is telling McNulty about him. He says that every week they would shoot craps in an alleyway, mm-hmm. and uh, and the Vic would get caught up in the game and steal the pot and run. Every week he'd steal the pot and run, and this would happen. Uh, McNulty asks, why did you keep letting him play? And the kid responds, got to. It's America, man. This is such a powerful moment in a powerful show, and it happens in the cold open in the first episode. Truly probably setting the tone, as I'm sure Dalton and Caleb would attest to mm-hmm. for the entire series, and I'm sure uh, these signs, as Dustin was mentioning, these signs of magic are really probably what made this show so powerful uh, in its six-season run, I believe. Five-season Five. Five season run. Um, well, and there, there's a there's another moment, um, Arthur, that that you've already mentioned when uh, D'Angelo's teaching um, – oh, my God, I can't think of their names. Bo- Bodhi and um, Pooh? Was it Pooh or was it uh, – He's teaching them to play chess. And he says, so if I get my pawn to the end, I win. No. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. The king's always the king. king. Mm -hmm. Nothing changes. And the same thing. He does it the same week, and you keep letting it happen? Well, yeah, we have to. It's America. Nothing changes. 
I just have a curiosity question because my first thought was about foreshadowing mm-hmm. with this whole moving of a pawn to the end and becoming the queen because the queen becomes you know the most powerful piece on the board even though it's not the most important piece. And what happens in the game of chess? And I'm I'm a, I'm a big chess player. Everyone's always gunning for the queen. I mean that's that's the prize you want to take. You want to kill the queen so that you can go ahead and take him out. And I just, I just I was curious that it, that that might be some foreshadowing for some foot soldier who really really rises to power and then immediately falls because she or he becomes an immediate target because of the power that they now wield. Yes. In another organization that's yet to be introduced, but yeah. Okay, I was just yeah. curious. About I didn't that. even think about that. Well, and if you want to get Avon Barksdale, you got to go through Stringer Bell. Okay, okay. Fair I mean, play. that's another. That's the direct comparison. Is well, that yeah, sounds like Stringer. That sounds like Stringer. Yeah, he's the one getting shit done. Yeah. And Avon doesn't have to move more than one space at a time. He don't have to hustle because he's the king. So Stringer's a queen. <laughs> I'm, he's, symbolically, he's, symbolically, he's beautiful. He is a beautiful. I've man. seen about twenty minutes of Stringer Bell, I think, in three episodes, and I'm hooked. I, yeah. I love Idris Elba. Oh, I oh, so I, and he's he's one of those. He's the shadow player that only as the show goes on becomes bigger and bigger. As his lack on. of British accent is so funny to me because oh, yeah. I think it's the only thing I've ever seen him do where he had an American accent. Well, I've seen him. He's in season four or five of The Office. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Idris Elba. Yeah, yeah, I forgot really? about that. Oh, wow. He owns the company. Yeah, uh, for totally forgot about yeah. that. A few episodes, he's there, and I didn't, you know, I was passing. I didn't know who he was at the time. Mm. Then I watched Luther, obviously. Oh yeah, you better watch uh, it, Luther. Watch it, Luther. Watch it. But anyway, back to the, back to the uh, cold open. Uh, this this representation, it is American. It is the land of the free, and we have these, you know, things go round and round. It's very circular. Mm-hmm. And things are allowed to happen. Uh, there's a lot of weight to this idea, and the statement, and I, the idea behind it, I think. There's some hope in a general setting, but the scene itself and the mise en scene of the scene, and and the way it's put together and the writing, um, it's it's very cynical and it is it's painting a very dark portrait of, of what's going on in our, our country at the time. And it reminds us things that aren't always black and white and they aren't aren't always easy. Uh, there's a lot at play and a lot at stake in this country, and we fight wars of varying degrees at different levels. But there's people and there's still people. And uh, again, going back to D'Angelo, when he when he uh, gets onto his guys for uh, hounding the uh, the junkie, yeah, you know he's he's, yeah. he's a customer. Yeah, why are we gonna do well, this? And, to he, him? and he uh, he says something that uh, Bunk says to him when they bring him in for interrogation. Um, you know, it's the only business that we gotta you know kill people over. Like, why do we have to run it this way? Yeah, and you know he mentions you, you think the cops care about a word I'm not gonna say getting high. Yeah. No, they care about dropping bodies. That's all yeah. they care about is the bodies. Yeah. yeah, and that's what he's he's trying to explain to them. It doesn't have to be this way. D'Angelo is a very interesting character. For he is now. because, oh, and then well, Avon points out, you know, uh, when they talk about the death of Grant, who testified, well, it's not about it's you can't appear weak. Yeah, and that's that's what it's it's not about. It's not just about the prophet. Yeah, it's about showing strength. Yeah, yeah. So that's 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 what I'd have to say about the wire. Wow. Well, you know, I really regret asking you to go first, Arthur. Um, that's some excellent analysis, and I really, really appreciate that. And you're going to make the rest of us look bad. So, well done on you. Um, Dalton Stewart, good luck. Go ahead. I think I got it. Um, well, I, I accidentally just talking about, you know, that those scenes where, where, where just, they're discussing, you know, why do we have to treat this game this way? It's about strength. Actually, accidentally segued into my analysis. Um, listener, if you uh, remember way back on our episode over End of Watch, I actually re- talked about The Wire and um, um, the class I took, HBO's Men Masculinity uh, and HBO's The Wire, uh, and the depictions of 
performative masculinity, both for the police and the drug dealers in this show. And, I, and I'm going to revisit that a little bit. But what I'm specifically going to talk about is what we think about when we think about masculinity. One of the key traits of, of, of a man is effectiveness, is the ability to accomplish things. And what we see here is a police force that is absolutely incompetent just by virtue of the system that holds them. The system doesn't want change. The system wants maintenance. Arthur talked about, you know, this attempt to to calm the public by addressing the fear of the day. Uh, and, and throughout the series, all they're concerned about is the numbers. Like, are your crime stats down? That's all that matters. Are murders getting cleared? It doesn't matter if you're right. The truth isn't important. The numbers are what's important. And you have good police like McNulty and Lester Freeman and Bunk Moreland um, and Sidner and even, you know, kind of in, in Kima and even some of the lunkheaded narco cops uh, like Herc and Carver who have good hearts. It doesn't matter how good of police they are. What matters is that they are locked into a system that actively fights against getting things done. Meanwhile, on the other hand, you have the Barksdale organization, which is actively getting shit done constantly. Stringer even says, even if we don't do our job, we still get we make more money when we do a bad job. Yeah. Oh, when they're having less effective product. Yeah, yeah. When they're having to step on the product they're having to cut the product because it's not very good. They're getting more money because they're selling more. Dear listener, that's code for um, cutting the heroin down so it's less effective, so there's less drug per dose, yes. and you have to buy twice as much in order to get the same high. Exactly. Because I, I understand that you all were filled with the Holy Ghost from the womb and have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> Moving right along. So when when um, Stringer is explaining this, either shortly thereafter or shortly before, there's a scene where the police are you know talking about not being able to get the resources they need, and Stringer says, even when we're not doing a good job, we win. So the police fail time and time again, be, uh, dis, you know, despite their best intentions. Uh, meanwhile, the drug dealers, in spite of what would seem like failure, they keep winning. They are by far better men in the way we think of masculinity as being getting shit done. Uh, this idea that your effectiveness and your success is directly uh, attributed to how much of a man you are. Um, the Barksdale organization is infinitely more successful. You know, three episodes in, they've got a task force of people that nobody wants. Meanwhile, the Barksdale organization has demoted Avon and Avon, or not Avon, D'Angelo, uh, for this killing that he was part of. And he's managed to improve this, you know, area of their business that nobody cared about. I mean, they're, they can't lose because people want drugs. People want to get high. Um, Bubbles is, is probably one of my favorite characters on the show, actually, and you, you got a little bit of him in the first three episodes, not a whole that lot. Was the, uh, that was the CI, the low-level CI. I like him. Yeah. yeah, Bubbles is one of my favorite characters. Uh, you got very little of Omar in the third episode. Omar is a huge character that shows up more later uh, who, who rips these guys off. And, and again, these street-level guys are more successful. They're better at doing things because they're not shackled to a system that doesn't care about progress. And I just think it's a very interesting depiction of masculinity. You know, they're all performing in masculinity. They're all being tough. Kima has to be tough to fit in with these guys. McNulty's, you know, got Dick Swagger a mile long. He has to be, he has to be cool uh, because he doesn't want people to think he cares, even though he clearly does. Uh, Bunk is, you know, they're all doing a certain type of masculinity. Um, in the Barksdale organization, though, they don't really have to because they can't 
not win. Uh, and it's just something I find very interesting about the show, this, this show about cycles and, and the inability for society to change because it seems like we don't really care if it does at the end of the day. Uh, and when you're living outside of society, you can make change and progress because you're not shackled to a system that's keeping you from getting things done. As just a side note to what you're saying, Dalton, I think it's great and fantastic. Thank you. you know, Jacques Derrida talks about how Western metaphysics is defined by these binaries. And, uh, what, you know, the masculine and the binary, obviously, is the feminine. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking about um, just uh, sort of – and I'm sure this is part of what you were discussing in your class when you, when you talked about this uh, film series or television series. Um, the, uh, the idea that if masculinity is all about competence – and effectiveness does it by nature sort of imply sort of the patriarchal value that feminis- feminine femini- femininity yeah. is incompetence absolutely and, and we talked we talked about that a lot when uh, we were discussing the show and the wire goes out of its way to address this um, you know when when you're thinking about traditional masculine values what um, is the least masculine thing you could do uh, which is allow yourself to be penetrated um, Omar is easily the most badass character on the show. He's gay, very openly gay. Hmm. And he is a, you know, uh, he's he's a gangster. Uh, he's, you know, a poor black gangster, which is not a society that is very accepting of homosexuality. That ain't kosher. No. Uh, Kima is is a lesbian. Right. I, I mean, so I think the show directly addresses this idea. See, that, of what that we weirded th- me out a little bit because the reason why she's a good cop is because she's more like a dude. And McNulty said – McNulty and her talk about that, and, yeah, and the, she she calls him out. It, well, it troubles her. And mm-hmm. McNulty says, well, the only you know, you're good police, and the only other woman I've ever worked with that was good police was lesbian too, so that doesn't surprise me that you are. Uh, and she kind of looks at him with the look that says, you're out of your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but but she knows she has – there. There's not – it's it's all – and most of this show, uh, it's all implied. It's all under the surface. It's very subtle. Um, I don't think – the show does kind of get a little uh, on the nose sometimes, but I think that's one of its strengths mm. is it doesn't come out and say, isn't it interesting that the toughest guy on the show is also gay? Uh, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't feel the need. I think it trusts the audience to be smart enough to realize that. Um, but, yeah, we did talk about that a lot, and we read a lot of articles about uh, female police officers and uh, a lot of uh, articles about um, drug dealers and, and the way the street economy works and how police have to work very closely with drug dealers to actually get anything done. They have to develop a certain amount of trust with the people that are living outside of the law. Um, and and there's a whole economy of masculinity taking place. You'll notice, uh, in some episodes when bunk is talking to, um, you know, the, the street guys, he, he kind of, for lack of a better phrase coming to mind, blacks it up a little bit. He gets mm. a little bit more hood. And, and Bunk talks uh, throughout the series about, you know, being from rough areas, and so does Carver uh, on the narco division. Um, he talks about, you know, having grown up in the projects as well. Um, and they, they bring that out when they're talking to the drug dealers, at basically adjusting the way they present their masculinity to get what they need. So it's, you know, not just um, these opposing uh, sides of masculinity, but also how they kind of overlap and interplay with one another. I mean, there, there's a lot going on in the show. that You could talk about anything, which I, is one of the things I love about this show, is it is so conducive to analysis. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Caleb Masters, um, the bar has been raised, brother. What analysis bring you? God, I love this show because we're all talking about it like on this level. This is great. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to pull a Dalton. I'm going to talk about something. 
so I can talk about something else. <laughs> that is a Dalton. That is a Dalton. <laughs> um, That's the technical term for it. Yeah. So what Classic I'm going to do Dalton. first uh, to lay out is I want to I want to lay out the structure of the show without being spoilery, obviously. So the wire is presenting insti- the institutions that keep us afloat and how they are all interconnected. I think that is a, a, a very, very key piece to this entire series as an entirety, not just the first season, the first four episodes, but as... Nothing happens in a vacuum. Exactly. Uh, so season one, we're talking about law enforcement, drug trade, the drug war, especially post-9-11. How mm-hmm. are we handling this? How does this affect, um, how does this affect the low levels? And then season two, it kind of takes a side swipe, and you're watching, and you're like, okay, cool. We're going to fake it, focus on labor unions and the shipyard industry in Baltimore. What's what's the deal with that? Oh, really? Yeah. It's yeah. All, it's, yeah. All about, it's all about the Steve Doors. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. The, and the really? longshoremen. I love me some longshoremen. Oh, yeah. no, no, no. And you're like sitting there, you're like, and that's and you're like, what, yeah. what's the deal with this, right? Yeah. I mean, McNulty and Bunk, they're all still there, and, and so is Avon mm-hmm. and Stringer, but they've added this other layer. They've added another layer. And then you get to season three, and this is where, in my mind, when Dalton said earlier, this goes from a great show to one of the greatest shows uh, is when you add in city politics, inner city politics, things that are d- – and what's great about this show too, before I keep going, is it'll – even in the first four episodes, it touches very vaguely on all of these things. Mm-hmm. But in season three, you get into city politics and how the decisions the politics – the politicians are making mm-hmm. will affect how we fight – how, how it affects the labor unions and how we, uh, how how we enforce the, dr- the drug war. Exactly. The, the uh, methods of policing they're using yeah, exactly. are, are directly affected by political decisions and mm-hmm. things – well, we got to keep this out of the papers. Right. And what happens when you're focusing on one issue, like drug wars, for instance? Well, uh, what is another issue? Well, we go into season four where it directly impacts education, school systems, and um, how, the, how, how the decisions politicians make to, to focus on one thing actually cut into – Something else, like education, something totally you would think would be totally uh, unrelated. Caleb, you're saying all the things that people say about the show that make me want to watch it. And this so is why it's good. And this is why I am convinced, Dustin, if you batten down the hatches and watch the show all the way through, I think you will love the show. Uh, and number five, the way it ca- and, 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 and I will say it caps off in a very un- – I was kind of surprised on the topic it decided to tackle in season five, but all, uh, all the more it still fits in with the – the grand master plan is it tackles the media, newspapers, the internet. How does what the media says about all this stuff impact how the, how we do the thi- how the system works the way it works? Which I mean makes a lot of sense when you know that David Simon's uh, background as a journalist. Yes, absolutely, uh, and it kind kind of comes full circle in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I want to lay that out there. That is how the show is structured, and I, I, I want to get to the heart of what I think the show uh, – one of the many things this show is about. And uh, the big thing is institutional dysfunction, mm-hmm. which Dalton and Arthur both talked about, the, the failures of the systems we work under. Um, these systems fail because they're built by human beings. They are written by human beings. They are built by human beings. That is the government. That is, uh, like I said, uh, the law enforcement, labor unions, etc. They are corrupted by people. Dirty money, drug money. At the very bottom, drug money will pen- will penetrate society as a whole. From the bottom up, it will affect every level of government we're looking at here. Um, and more than anything, I think what corrupts the system that we work in is ambition. Mm-hmm. And the and, and I think the show, with the show, one of the things I, I saw the show ruling me about is it is the people in power use the dysfunction. They, they, they see the flaws in the systems. They, they, they see the holes, and they use the, they, they're ambitious, and they use the system to climb the ladder. Chaos is a ladder. Thank you. But what do we have left once we abandon the lie? Chaos. 
A gaping pit waiting to swallow us all. Chaos isn't a pit. Chaos is a ladder. Many who try to climb it fail. Never get to try again. The fall breaks them. And some are given a chance to climb, but they refuse. They cling to the realm. Or the gods. Or love. Illusions. Only the ladder is real. The climb is all there is. So, um, basically you're looking at, uh, uh, you're going to look at how the, the powerful, the rich, the powerful, the ambitious will use the system against itself, against the people who follow the rules, like, you know, you and me, right? Well, and even, even, um, and again, I can never remember the detective's name, but Lance Reddick's character, yeah. the head of the unit, he cares about the job they're doing, but he's also ambitious. What he cares more about is the promotion, and he's yes. not going to piss anybody off. That's why McNulty never gets promoted, because McNulty cares more about being right and winning, whereas uh, his superior in the unit tracking Avon Barksdale, you know, despite the angels of his better nature, chooses ambition over yeah. doing the right thing. Well, and remember, even his wife says, uh, you can't lose if you don't play, which, yeah. again, uh, Arthur referenced, called it, you guys both called it a game. Mm -hmm. And in a, in, a, in a lot of ways, the show is presenting a game of politics that each of these player, these people will play into. Mm -hmm. um, an example being, uh, as you said, McNulty. What's funny about McNulty, and he's probably the closest thing we have to a main character in the show, is he gets the game. He knows how the system works, but he's not interested in climbing the ladder. He doesn't care about promotions. He doesn't care. He's good police. He wants justice. Well, the, the thing that's about McNult interesting about McNulty is I, almost, I honestly don't know if he cares about justice so much as he cares about proving to everyone that he's the smartest guy in the room. Well, that's, that's – that's, okay, okay, fair point, very yeah. fair point. And he, he cares more about being right and winning than he cares about ambition. Yeah. Well, the whole show it kicks I, off. I teach that student. I understand what that means. <laughs> well, it's right funny. Along. It's funny because the, the whole show starts because McNulty had a, 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 a he couldn't get this off his back. He's like, I got this guy. I got this hunch. I got a chase, and yeah. none of you guys even see it. So since you guys aren't listening to me, I'm gonna go to my judge buddy over here who's gonna tip him off. Yeah. He gets the system. He knows if he tells the judge, the judge is going to come down and it's going to come down the ladder. So he yep. says, "Skip ahead." Uh, another example of this is Stringer Bell perfectly understands the system of rules he is working with. He understands the government. He understands the law, and he understands good – oh, snap. He understands good business. So he manipulates it to use to uh, be a successful, lawful drug trader. Nobody has anything on the guy, and he's selling freaking narcotics. Uh, and lastly, uh, when I hit on before we, uh, I wrap up, is that there is a young politician that will show up in season three without spoiling anything. But his whole his whole arc is a young, ambitious, well-intentioned, passionate uh, politician who wants to change the world. And he is swallowed up and consumed by the corruption and the power of the system mm -hmm. at B. Um, you don't get to climb if you actually try to change anything. Exactly. Um, so I think the conclusion that the the wire comes to is that, that we live in this very interconnected society, but ultimately the we as the average Joe, the average citizen, are 
paying the price because there are those who are higher up than us that are ambitious. They understand the flaws in the system, and they're, using, they're manipulating the system to climb the ladder, so to speak. They, they're going to go for the promotions. They want to have a political agenda. Everybody who understands how this works is climbing, while the rest of us who follow the rules are getting penalized. At the end of the show, I mean, some characters are le- we're all left to the devices of the system. Some characters get lucky. And they make it out of this whole drug war deal, and they're happy. They have a better life. Some of them don't. Some of them die. Some of them get consumed. And and what is all? And, and, no, and the sad thing about it is, at the end, no one really cares. It's just, well, we fought the system. Uh, uh, some of us made it. Some of us didn't. And some of us are going to keep playing the game because that's all we know how to do. So ultimately, I have a very pessimistic take on what the message this show is sending. And I think it is that we live in a society that is. Um, built and run by the rich, powerful, and ambitious uh, on the backs of people who actually like to follow the rules. I, I think you can really sum up the entirety of the series with um, the line that Morgan Freeman has at the end of Seven, which is um, Ernest Wait. Hem. Did you just say Morgan Freeman is at the end of episode, season seven? No, at the, the, the movie seven. Oh, sorry. Okay, sorry. Sorry, I was I, like, <laughs> sorry. You have no. my curiosity. <laughs> now you they have, have my attention. Have my attention. No, uh, at the end of the film seven, Morgan Freeman um, says Ernest Hemingway once wrote, "The world is a fine place and worth fighting for." And I agree with the second part, um, and I think that really sums up kind of the thesis of the wire. In a lot of ways. That confused me because there's a rule that we never enforce, and so that was probably why. Yes. Well, yes. <laughs> I just wanna, I, and I just want to point you can even see it in these early episodes, too, is that the, the commissioner, the, a lot of these cops, they don't really care. Like you were saying, it's a numbers game. They don't really care. And a lot of the cops are drunks and are just waiting for the retirement. Yeah, exactly. Well, Dustin, what are, what are your thoughts uh, for analysis on this show? Well, now I'm 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 going to bring the scope in quite a bit with my analysis and perhaps lower the bar and um, talk a little bit uh, just about a moment that happens um, where we see a couple of cops um, feel very very or three cops feel very very frustrated. And head right on into the projects. Presbaluski, Carver, and Herc. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 really, um, some really really bad. What what ends up happening is they go in and they basically uh, terrorize, um, brutalize, sort of you know, not 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 quite the level of excessive force at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just accosting people for its own sake. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, they're abusing their power for certain. Mm-hmm. And, and then, of course, a young man um, is sitting on the hood of a car and is a bit disrespectful. Um, because, well, you know, they're being jerks, and they don't really merit any respect at this point. And as a result, uh, Prez um, ends up whacking him in the face with the butt of a pistol, uh, which eventually causes the loss of his eye. And so I want to talk for just a moment about police brutality in, in the context of how this show depicts it. And the only reason why I want to talk about it is because you cannot watch this show without watching it in a 2014 lens, uh, in light of Trayvon Martin, in light of Michael Brown, in light of uh, so much excessive violence um, um, on the part of police uh, used against um, you know young black bodies. And uh, it's, it's something that's, that's really, really troubling that goes on uh, in there. And so, what, first of all, you know, you've got to talk about police competence, uh, which I think is a real issue um, right now. There's, there are a lot of fantastic women and men who are serving in law enforcement, and I don't want to um, in any way denigrate that. But also, there is a um, hiring problem 
currently going on right there. And um, the candidates, um, many candidates coming into law enforcement are less than shiny. And uh, Dalton, you know, as a sociology major, I'm sure can attest to Well, and, and spent, you know, two and a half semesters as a criminal justice major, yeah. And, and so there, there, there's a real challenge, I think, there, and just getting quality persons who are willing to live that life. Because, you know, of course, police life is hard, and it's a, it's a difficult life. Highest lifestyle. rates of suicide, alcoholism, and divorce. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's no joke. No one wants to sign up for any of those things. And uh, that's just on the outset, just for getting your paycheck. You know, you can get paid for other stuff, right, yep. that don't have those sort of consequences. And, and so th- those are all sort of negative consequences that go towards that. And so you get just idiots like, you know, the, these, these, well, I mean, Perez is really the, the idiot. He's the, the real idiot. Yeah. The, the rest of them are just, the, in, they're meatheads, but they're, they're well-intentioned yeah, meatheads. They're yeah. They're monkheads. Yeah. And so, the, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what I think of them well, as of this point. Perez just feels like he's got something to prove. Let's be yeah. honest here. All three. And that's again, to, to the credit of the show. Um, no one is demonized or glorified ever. Avon Barksdale has admirable traits and has redeeming qualities. Uh, McNulty has a lot of really damning qualities about him. Prez has a good heart. Uh, there's a scene later on in the first season where Herc um, apologizes. They, they they bust down a door to go looking for somebody, uh, and he's using a lot of very strong language on the other side of the door. Once they get in, um, he sees that it's a, an older woman is who's living there, and he sits down with her and has a conversation where he apologizes, and they nice. kind of they kind of chat. So the no everyone no one no one's an angel, no one's a demon on this show, but yeah, everyone has moments where they're a big piece of shit though. But to the point of the uh, narrative of what we've got so far mm-hmm. in the first three episodes, these guys are put on the detail mostly because they're lunkheads and just somebody wants to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's sort of the point I'm trying to make, in, yeah. just in terms of um, the hiring practices, you know, and hiring perhaps necessities. Uh, found right now in, in law enforcement that there, there's a lot of meatheads um, going on in there. Not that they're not great and you know honorable men and women uh, doing that. There's a lot of good police. You know, I'm not saying that. Um, that then there is another situation where there is a general frustration on the part of law enforcement because they feel like they're not unable to um, you know accomplish their task to really feel like they're doing something to make a difference. And the only avenue that the culture of masculinity and of law enforcement seems to provide is sort of the culture of violence, the exercise of power. Absolutely. Well, they do as much posturing as the gang members do. There's uh, just a few episodes after our required viewing, um, one officer is struck in a raid, and Kima sprints over. They've already subdued the guy, but she sprints over to be part of beating this guy down. I think I saw that episode. Did you see that one? I think that so. was episode four. That was the very next episode. And yeah, she runs all the way across the courtyard yeah. to no, kick the crack. that's the three. There you go. Yeah, Dustin only watched the first three. Yeah, so the bust, yeah, when mm-hmm. um, What's-His-Face mm-hmm. gets clocked in the jaw. You want to yeah. hit a cop? <laughs> you want to hit a cop? Yeah, and they beat yeah. the shit out of him. They do. Yeah. Uh, much in the way that the drug dealers beat up the junkie who ripped them off in the first episode. Right. And so it sort of you know perpetuates this sort of culture of violence. Exactly. And, and that's really the only way to justify oneself and, and sort of, again, posture oneself exactly. as, as powerful. Mm. Power. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, that's really what the addiction is towards. And, and so there, there's, there's this sort of culture that's being set where there's, there's a certain extent to where there are meatheads who just don't have any sense. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain extent to which there are those who um, feel either threatened or they feel like their power is diminished or they generally feel frustrated and, you know, sort of this libidinal uh, inability to effectively do their job. Mm-hmm. And so they, they feel some need to exercise that. And this results in police brutality 
and police violence, which happens over and over and over again in American society. The result here is that a young child is blinded, and then one of the higher-up policemen, I believe it's a lieutenant. Can you help me out here? Yes, it's a lieutenant. Compromises on the issue, tells them how to lie, mm-hmm. um, lies um, before you know whoever his higher up is. Um, you know, it, Barney from Silence of the Lambs. Yes, <laughs> it is Barney from Silence of the. Wait, no, it's not. Is it really? It is Barney from Silence of the Lambs. Never mind. Uh, the, yeah, the uh, deputy of operations. Yeah, yeah, and so you know, again, lies to him in order to sort of you know make sure that no one gets in trouble and that there's this you know avoidance of issues. And I, I kept thinking about the Michael Brown situation, how we are really, really parsing the details right now mm-hmm. of the situation of the autopsies. There's police autopsies. There's individual autopsies that are being done right now about whether or not he was charging the police car, whether or not you know the gun went off at close range initially and then went off at long range. Uh, finally and you know the the exact specific details of of this specific event and and really this is this is what I want to think about is that there is a real systemic problem that the show seems to be reflecting on that the actual individual actions of the individual however excessive or inaccessive um, on their part, you know, as a perpetrator or excessive or inaccessive in terms uh, of the law enforcement officer, that that's sort of indifferent in in that there is a systematic brutalization of poor brown and black human beings um, that goes on in American society right now. And there are systemic cover-ups of what goes on because people want to maintain power. And there needs to be a greater speaking of truth to power. And what 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 makes me so crazy angry, what what galls me to no extent, is that whenever a situation comes up where there's this sort of white on black or you know you know semi white on black violence that mm-hmm. occurs in American society, there's this this is rush to uh, villainize the victim in, in whatever way. And, and some victims probably are villains. But there's a real actual problem, I think, that needs to be dealt with in that uh, this thing happens all the time and not all of it gets on the news. Mm-hmm. And I th- it seems like The Wire is raising that question. And so, you know, what I want to think about um, in terms of The Wire and just, again, police violence is, is to think about how can we better support law enforcement so that they don't feel the frustrations that are coming up that are resulting in this violence? And how can we better name that there is a systemic violence that is occurring, that is actually taking place, and say that we will not tolerate it any longer, regardless whether or not the individual incident um, is entirely, you know, um, innocent on the part of, you know, a Michael Brown. You know, I think it's, it's much more obviously the case with someone like Trayvon Martin. Um, uh, you know, I mean, getting killed for Skittles is just ridiculous to me. Um, that being said, um, there's a real problem in America, and until we actually deal with it on its own terms, you know, we're going to continue to see these cycles of violence all the way back in 2001. Now, fast forward to 2012, 2014, and uh, you know, somebody needs to stand up and say, you know, maybe the details don't matter. There's a real problem, and we need to face the problem so that we can deal with the systemic issues that are that are at work here instead of an individual case by case basis. Well said. Very well said. Bam. Well, thank you, um, dear co-hosts. Um, we had some fun doing some analysis on this show, I think. Yeah, we did. And uh, let's let's move on, though. And uh, now is an opportunity that we have to give a verdict. And, uh, dear listener, we're sure we'd love to hear your verdict as well. But now our verdict will be shelf or trash. 
else or instead with regard to the wire? Mr. Caleb Masters, what say you? You know, Dustin, I don't own the show. It just, uh, I think it announced a couple weeks ago that they're going to be putting it on Blu-ray soon. Finally, I yeah. I, I don't know if there's actually a date set for that or not. Uh, if there is, I'm buying it. I'm all in uh, because this is a this is. If I was a professor, this was a a show I would go out of my way to find a way to work that into a syllabus. Uh, and this is a show that I I really do think is contempt. Hundred years from now, when we're looking back at literature of the 21st century, I think The Wire will be among a hand, very small handful of other names that are going to come up. And I think this is one worth owning, worth watching. And I'll be honest, this show has changed the way I view a lot of different systemic issues within society. So this is definitely a shelfer. So what are your else's or instead, Mr. Masters? Okay, so else or instead, I want to say American Gangster. Uh, that's a great movie. Nice. I, I think that's that's another one that captures the the feeling of being on the streets, the vernacular, uh, the acting spot on in that, and uh, I think it creates a very very um, uh, like the show, very atmospheric feel to it. Uh, obviously, these are else's. Um, the next one being Game of Thrones, and I know, I know, I talk about Game of Thrones all the time, but if you want to talk about if The Wire is the show handling uh, systemic societal issues from the ground up, the Game of Thrones, even though it's set in a fantasy reality, is looking at them from the top down. How do the richest of the rich and the wealthiest of the wealth deal, deal with these problems in a different way? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and uh, it's all about the politicking, the backstabbing, but all based off of the systems that we have in our own reality, which I think is really great. Uh, thirdly, I want to say Deadwood. Uh, a show I've only seen about three episodes of, so I can't speak to it as a whole. But uh, also very atmospheric. It's a great, uh, I believe it's David Mulch uh, show. Um, I'm not sure off the top of my head. Yeah, uh, I, I, I've I've heard nothing but great things about the same professor that recommended The Wire to me. Recommended Deadwood in the same breath. Um, and the three episodes I've seen, fantastic, especially if you're into westerns. And lastly, I said it earlier, but I'll say it again: read A Tale of Two Cities. Uh, it, it's a it's a book that captures the the same struggle of the 17th century or 16th century in France that the show is echoing in 21st century America, the the plea of the plebeian, so to speak. Charles Dickens be legit, y'all. So you need to be reading that right now. That's all I have to say. Thank you very much, Mr. Masters. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say? Shell for trash, else for instead? Well, I picked it. What do you think? Um, I like it a lot. Um Obviously, I also maintain that it's one of the greatest shows ever of all time and always. End of story. Else viewing. Um, you should check out another HBO, uh, in this case, miniseries um, called Generation Kill, um, a, based on the experiences of a journalist uh, who was embedded with the first recon marines during the invasion of Iraq. Um, again, a, a, a thing written by an outsider observing uh, a very specific subset of masculinity. Um, it's a really great series. Um, again, it was a mini series, so it's only like eight episodes, uh, and it was over. But I, I, for some reason, I thought about it, and I hadn't thought about it in quite a while. But this most recent viewing of The Wire, I, I thought about it several times because it does a lot of similar things, where it lets you have a lens in, into um, a world that we see a lot in film and television, but we don't really see portrayed in, in um, certain ways. And it definitely goes out of its way to portray portray the life, and, and it's very kind of mun, mundane and humdrum, and um, but also very frightening um, and very you know uh, impacting on an individual's life. Um, I would also recommend uh, the Training Day, the the David Ayers written film. Uh, we, we did the David Ayers uh, film End of Watch uh, last year, 
Um, but uh, David Ayers wrote the uh, the film uh, Training Day, which was directed by Anton Fuqua, I believe, um, starring Ethan Hawke and uh, Denzel Washington, because I, I feel like it also has that sense of kind of immersing you uh, through very good dialogue writing um, in the street and also showing you, you know, uh, less than shiny police officers. Um, and that's a film I like quite a bit. And um, yeah, it presents, you know, some dirty cops doing bad things and um, just a really great movie that does a lot of the same things that I think The Wire does, but, you know, in two hours and in Los Angeles instead of, you know, 60 hours in Baltimore. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Um, I was actually thinking of End His Watch myself. So there you go. Well played, sir. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you say? Shelf or trash, else or instead? I, I think it is a TV series that speaks for itself. It's one of the most critically acclaimed shows of the last couple of decades, if not of all time. Uh, it has inspired college courses. Uh, it has a very supportive fan base. So I, I think all of that speaks that you should give this a try. I, I think if I keep going, I'll say it's shelfable. I, I, I definitely don't think it's for everybody, but I, I definitely think everyone should give it a shot. Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, like Mad Men, I don't think any everyone should watch Mad Men because I know not everyone's going to like it. I think most people will like The Wire if they – give it a shot yeah um it's just it's hard to get into for some people but i I, i've yet to talk to one person who hated it well and it's it's definitely a show for pro when i say pro tv watchers i mean people who are used to being having lots of stuff thrown at them used to having all the vernacular thrown at them it's a show that if you've been watching an avid tv film watcher you're not gonna i'm not gonna take this to my mom and say you might like this she's not gonna get it yeah Uh, i I do have to say for the record um mad men for me, four or five episodes in, has more intrigue for me at this point than The Wire. Though. Yeah. Wow. Mad Men gets off to a very fast start, yeah. though. Yeah. There's a great hook at the end of the first Show episode. episode. Yeah. Show do. Yeah. Um, I would say with this, I'm, I've got some odd some odd pairings here. I okay. say uh, you go watch, um, you watch Remember the Titans, and then you watch this and you watch Sons of Anarchy because you get to see the two leads from Remember the Titans go completely different directions. With Wood Harris and uh, Opie, I can't think of his real name. In uh, Ron oh, Ryan Hurst, yeah, Ryan Hurst, uh, who both got their start in this inspirational Disney uh, sports film, and then they've went on to made careers for themselves in darker, denser material on both of these shows. So I think that's an interesting pairing. Wait, were th- who was uh, who who was in Remember the Titans and also um, The Wire? Avon, uh, Avon. Oh God, he's Wood. Wood Harris. Okay, I was thinking yeah. of singing Ed Harris for some reason. <laughs> Ed Harris makes a cameo yeah, in The Wire, and Dalton never noticed. Like I was like, "What person?" I forgot Wood Harris was in Remember the Titans. Yeah. he's also in uh, Dread. Yeah, yeah. Um, all of a sudden, I'm gonna go back and watch Remember the Titans because haven't we watched Remember the Titans since I watched The Wire? So watching it now with all those things in mind about Wood and uh, mind Ryan. blown. Yeah, oh. I would also say obviously you watch this with Luther, mm-hmm. uh, the British TV Luther. watcher Luther. Uh, I'd say just for crime and city movies, I'd say watch The Departed in the town. Nice. Uh, with this one. So, there you go. All right. Dustin, shell for trash, Elser instead. Well, based, again, on my confidence on people I trust, I'm going to say shell. Um, not a, not based necessarily on my own experience yeah. heretofore. Um, so, I, I'm, I'm saying that provisionally. Again, uh, evoking Derrida. And all statements are provisional anyway, aren't they? So, there's that anyhow. Cop out. <laughs> Right. Well, again, I don't know. I mean, I, I honestly don't know. You haven't know. decided yet. I've, yeah. I've, I've only fair. seen two hours and 15 yeah. minutes. i got to hustle you a little bit. That's totally fair, though. 
And uh, so there, there is that. Um, I, End of Watch, as earlier mentioned by Mr. Ayer, um, I, I recommend um, as a pairing. And then I'm going to say, because of issues of racism, police pr- corruption slash brutality, I'm going to recommend um, the Sandra Bullock, uh, Brendan Fraser, um, and others vehicle crash. Um, oh, Academy yeah. Award winner. Um, and, and I'm not going to recommend anything else. Those, those movies have cops in them and uh, talk about things and having not seen any more i can't recommend more That's than fair. that I, I i was i was struggling to come up with anything on these first three episodes because there's i mean it's police procedural and there's nothing don't really going on mm-hmm. so it's kind of tricky but I understand where you're coming so, from. So, yeah, that, that's as far as I'm willing to go. Things you've said so far have intrigued me, and it, they bring to mind possibilities of recommendation, but that's not based on viewing. That's just based on things you say happen. Gotcha. And so I don't want to say any more than that. But let's move on. Dear listener, we'd love to hear your recommendations and your pairings. Perhaps you have seen all of the episodes of all of the seasons of The Wire, and you might want to give us uh, that information via feedback, via social media. Mr. Arthur Gordon, do you know anything about social media uh, and where we might have a conversation? Uh, You could if you would like to send us an email, an electronic mail. Uh, You could go in and do that at goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, send us your thoughts, ideas, reviews, poems. We'll read them on the air and uh, uh, have a go of it. I would love to hear your The Wire haiku. And then also you could find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash good trash genre cast, one word. Uh, we don't have much coming in this week, some new likes and, and shares and things of that nature, uh, but not a lot of conversation going on. So, you know, get on there and talk to us. We'd Please. love to hear from you. Thank you very much. Mr. Dalton Stewart, do you have anything else about social means by which a conversation may be held? I'll tell you what. You tweet at the king, you best not miss. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the Good Trash Genre Cast on Twitter at good underscore trash. Thank you very much. And, of course, dear listener, this is episode number 99. And okay. We've been telling you for a couple of weeks. Now is the time. We would love for you to hit up the iTunes and give us a rating, an honest rating, whatever you think, between one and five stars. Uh, about what you think of the show, and uh, again, this is sort of a, a few sentences of commentary. I know you've been wanting to do this, you've been thinking about it, you've been listening to the show for some time now, and you've been thinking, oh man, I would love to, love to, love to, love to say some things about the Good Trash Honor cast this week. Let's go ahead and do that between now and episode number 100. Please. Which will um, begin a new uh, marathon for the Good Trash Honor cast, and we'll tell you more about that towards the end of the show. But um, we would love for that to happen. It's going to affect iTunes algorithms. It's going to um, bump our um, our ratings with iTunes and allow the conversation to be spread a lot further with a, a lot more people. And we really, really want that to happen. So you know, you want we know you want to do it anyway. We know you want to say these things anyway. I thank you so much for waiting up at this point. Let's go ahead and do it this week. This week, go ahead and write that review um, just after you've listened to the show or just while you're listening to the show. Pause in the midst of the show and uh, come back to us, and uh, we would really, really appreciate that. That's the last we're going to talk about iTunes reviews for some time now. Thank you so much, dear listener, for putting up with all of that, but I'm done talking about it. You know why? It's time to play the game. It's time to play the game. This week's game is our favorite screen police and detectives. That's right, favorite screen police and detectives. Brought to you by The Wire. The Wire. Probably not a good place to find good police. (laughs) 
All right, then. The, the Baltimore uh, Public uh, Police Department is just crap. According to The Wire, yes. Although, McNulty's good police, and they will good tell police. you that about 500 times throughout the series. Oh, <laughs> He's good police. Uh, just good police is a phrase that's said all the time. Uh, mm. and also, horrible, per- horrible human being, good police. And I love that everyone on The Wire says police. Well, they are the police. Police. You know, oh, I mean, they've, they've been called that since the 80s. Yeah, I know. It just makes me happy. It's just it's amusing to me. So let's go ahead and get this game going, shall we? It's kind of a, a sister game to our uh, favorite prisoners from last week. Oh, I, was, uh, <laughs> I was waiting for you to hand it off. Well, uh, Arthur, you want to get us started? Yeah, let's, let's get the ball rolling here. I've, I've got a couple. Um, I would just, going back in time, I would say, Sheriff Andy Taylor from the Andy Griffith Show. Oh, you. Just for fun. Oh. Okay, I got to say something about Andy Griffith right now. So my grandfather is um, cloned from Andy Griffith's DNA. No, 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 no stay with me. Like, I, I, I've seen young pictures of my grandpa. Mm-hmm. He looks just like Andy Griffith. Weird. Now, the thing is, is that my grandpa was my grandpa. Right, growing up. So he was older, and he looked just like Matlock the entire time <laughs> I've known him. Now, now stay, so, 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 so check this out. I'm watching Matlock. I'm like, Grandpa, that looks just like you. I have no idea who Andy Griffith is. I don't even know that they're actors. And then I see the Andy Griffith show, and I'm like, hey, that's the guy that plays Matlock. And like the day of, I see like old pictures of my grandpa in his army uniform mm-hmm. when he was in the Korean War. Mm-hmm. And he's freaking Andy Griffith. <laughs> so weird. That's uh, awesome. He, so go ahead. That I'm sorry, sense. but I, just, I, thought, I felt the need to share that. Andy Griffith, secretly based off of your grandfather's life. I am Andy or, Griffith's bastard grandson. I was going to say. I think there may be a different connection there, um, but I, I the Andy Griffith show was just a lot of fun uh, as for my childhood and growing up, and and I enjoyed that. And I, Andy Griffith is just a very talented comedian and actor, and so that's a lot of fun. I would also say uh, Mr. Tom Hanks as FBI agent Carl Anratty in Catch Me If You Can, <laughs> uh, nice. chasing a 19-year-old uh, Leo DiCaprio who is fraudulently making all sorts of bank and betting all sorts of women across the country. And so that's a lot of fun. I've talked about him a lot tonight, and I'm going to mention him again. That's DCI John Luther, Luther. played by Idris Elba in the titular. Getting, getting a, a fun turn from a Stringer Bell, yeah. Yeah, and so definitely it's it's not a very long series. I think maybe 12 episodes total yeah. for three seasons. Just got announced for a, th- for a new season, by the yeah. way. So yeah, two seasons, two episodes. I know Fox is working on trying to adapt it to an American TV audience. Of course so they are. It's, it's definitely a show that's worth watching. It's very interesting character work. And finally, I am going to say uh, there is no better detective than uh, Detective Nicholas Angel from Hot Fuzz. And uh, I don't know that there's a more competent uh, detective in all of Amer- or the world. Yeah. Or the world. The best, the best police. He takes down Father Christmas and, uh, and several other baddies, including James Bond. And so those, yeah. are, my, those are my picks. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Caleb Masters, what say you? Uh, you know, I've actually got a few because I I wasn't sure if it was favorite detectives or favorite police officers, so I haven't broken down into both categories. Either or. Yeah. Uh, so Give us your greatest hits from both uh, categories. Uh, okay, so... Oh, I've only got three. Damn. <laughs> we're, running, we're going long. Uh, oh, okay, okay, okay. So, first off, let's go with... Um, oh, shit. <laughs> the vegan police, uh, as played by Thomas Jane and Clifton Collins from Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Nice, <laughs> I, nice. I mean, come on, they take down freaking uh, going Super Saiyan Goku Superman over there, and milk uh, and eggs, bitch. 
<laughs> the, the next I want to go with is uh, L from Death Note. Have any of you watched Death Note at all? No. It, okay, okay. It's, it's, it's a, I'm, it, I'm familiar with it's it. It's an anime. It's probably super unrealistic, but damn, that guy is really impressive. He's like thinking eight steps ahead of everything all the time. Even when the bad when the bad guys when the bad guy is thinking six steps ahead, L is thinking eight steps ahead. And no, that is not an exaggeration. That's actually what happens in that show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's crazy. And last off, last but not least, you can't forget Inspector Gadget. <laughs> <laughs> go go Gadget that's Skates. A good, that's a that's a good cop. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. Uh, what say you, Mr. Dalton Stewart? Well, I want to mention one that I'm two uh, a pair that I'm surprised Caleb didn't mention, which is Martin Hart and Rustin Cole from True Detective. Um, time's a flat circle. That's all. <laughs> it's doing stuff. the same thing over and over, over again. again. We're doomed to repeat this. Um, man, it's good stuff. Um, Woody Harrelson and, and Matthew McConaughey just turned in some of the best performances of their entire career uh, in that first season of, of HBO's True Detective. Uh, and very different from The Wire, but also uh, probably you know as interesting in its depiction of uh, police relationships. So uh, obviously an extremely different show. It's much more small focused. It doesn't really you know attack any social issues or anything. It's just a mystery. Um, but a very great series, uh, and they're great detectives on screen. Uh, because of the wire and its and its dirty, twisted web, I wanted to include at least one dirty cop. So I uh, picked DEA agent Norman Stansfield, as played by Gary Oldman in The Professional, which, as I've mentioned on the show several times, includes Gary Oldman's finest moment of acting in the history of film. Last but certainly not least, NYPD's finest, John McClane. Uh, Yippee ki yay. Motherfucker. Melon Farmer. Melon Farmer. Mother Trucker. My Mother friend. Russia. Mother Russia. My Mother friend. Father. Yeah, there's there's a lot of good TV edits of that. Um but thanks, John McClain, for inspiring us to be awesome every day of the every day of our lives. Thank you very much. Well, I'm gonna pick a detective and I'm gonna pick a cop. Okay. That's what I'm gonna do for my pick. So my, my detective is Benedict Cumberbatch's Sherlock. Nice. I mean, because yeah. he is amazing. Yeah. He yep. knows Incredible. all the things. You talk about all the moves ahead. He's brilliant. The performance itself is brilliant. Martin Freeman. Su- Martin Freeman. Yeah, Martin Freeman support. Yeah. I don't know what I was thinking just then. Yeah, Martin Lawrence. Uh, Martin Lawrence maybe what I was thinking. Because, <laughs> Blue streak. Because I wanted to say that him and Will Smith from Bad Boys is what I wanted to say. But my, my conscience and my soul wouldn't let me. Um, we know. ride together. We die together. Tango Elgato in Los you know, Pantalones. Died alone because of all this. Hey, I still hate that movie. Uh, so much. Um, nonetheless, um, so I love me some Cumberbatch um, working the Sherlock Holmes. And then my favorite police officer um, as far as investigative um, performance in film, again, is Jodie Foster's Clary Starling. Good pick. From yep. Silence of the Lambs. Yep. I mean, she yep. is amazing. And she's it, just a trainee. And, and there's so much vulnerability in the way that she does it. You mm-hmm. know, the, in a different way than Cumberbatch's, you know, um, sort of omni, omniscient powerful yeah. sort of presence in, in yeah. investigating crime. There is this, not not bumbling, you know, she's not incompetent in any way, but she's absolutely vun- vulnerable, she's absolutely learning, and there's absolutely things that she doesn't know that others around her do, yeah. uh, particularly Hannibal Lecter. And uh, so I, I find that to be really, really compelling, and so I just love her performance um, in that police officer role. But thank you so much, uh, dear co-hosts, for all of that. Now the question remains, are we fired up this week in pop culture? Yeah. Turn me up. 
Mr. Dolls and Sturdy Farda? Uh, a little bit. Uh, big, big couple of weeks for video games. I've uh, been playing a lot of the new Assassin's Creed Unity, which I still haven't totally made up my mind on. I've played about an hour of Far Cry 4, which is more Far Cry 3, but prettier and in a different place and super awesome. Nothing wrong with that. Yep. Uh, really, Dragon Age Inquisition dropped, which I'm super excited about, but I haven't got to touch yet. Um, but there is news. Uh, Telltale Games has released the first trailer for their, yes. for their Game of yes. Thrones uh, series they're going to be working on. They're very famous for their uh, two seasons of their Walking Dead uh, game, which, uh, you know, your choices matter. It's very much an interactive storytelling uh, type of game. Um, they've done some other games, but the Walking Dead games are probably their most famous, and they have released a trailer for their Game of Thrones game. So that's expected probably towards the end of... Uh, Probably December, if not early into next year, is when they're going to release that. But I'm very excited about I, that. You know, you know, I, I I love the Walking Dead games, but the game, the world of Game of Thrones is so much more interesting using the the same choice system that they yeah. implemented in Walking Dead. Just I I can't wait. It's very exciting stuff. So they've released first trailer for that. So that's got me really fired up. I just happened to watch that the other day. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Caleb Masters, are you fired up this week? Well, two things. Uh, the segue on the, the note of Game of Thrones. Uh, there was a, a George R. R. Martin did finally release a new book. However, not the one we were all waiting for. If you're a book reader, he did not release Winds of Winter, the next uh, entry of the Game of Thrones series, but he did release an encyclopedia style uh, history book uh, called The World of Ice and Fire. And uh, I'm not going to elaborate for sake of time, but I will say that it is the history of uh, Westeros and only the way that George R. R. Martin write it. And if you read the books, th- you know what that means. He writes the whole book from the perspective. It's not first. It's not objective. It is subjective from the perspective of a historian in Westeros. Much like in his series, he writes from the perspectives of the characters. That is delightful. So this guy is going on about all this stuff, and you don't actually know if any of it really happened or not. He's just like, well, this is what they say about it, and yada yada yada. Uh, Fantastic art, like the art. It, 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 I mean, the show is uh, visually stunning, but the, this art is just blows out of the water. And the other thing is Thanksgiving. It's around the corner. By the time this episode drops, I expect it will either be Thanksgiving or it likely will have happened. It'll likely have happened. And I have to say, you know, what I'm fired up. That Thanksgiving is 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 my favorite holiday of all time. And you know what my favorite holiday traditions is? Everyone's watching football and eating food. I do both of those things. But you know what I really like to do? I like to go to the movies. Hence the good trash genre cast. And it just so happens I'm going to be in Austin, Texas during Thanksgiving this year. And there is, uh, you know, growing up in the Midwest. Keep talking, uh, sir. Growing up in the Midwest, there's always this crazy theater chain that I would never get to experience that I dreamed of going to called the Alamo Draft yes. House. And I, I believe, uh, knock on wood in case something horrible happens between now and the time this is posted, I will have gone to the Alamo Draft House and fulfilled a... A teenage Caleb Masters dream of seeing a movie uh, in Austin. Well, I can tell you, I, I've been to the Kansas City location, and it's pretty fabulous. So, uh, hopefully, the the original location, well, the technically the original location is no longer in existence. They moved it, but uh, hopefully, that's as enjoyable as I expect it would be. Caleb, do yourself a favor and see something that's there limitedly, not in wide release. I'll see Interstellar Time Three. <laughs> And that's all about all I got, Dustin. Thank you very much, Mr. Masters. Mr. Arthur Gordon, are you fired up this week? Uh, a couple things. I got to catch up on a few movies from this year. I uh, I got to go see uh, Interstellar. Uh, yeah. Which was fun. It was a good experience. I enjoy McConaughey a lot. I'm, I'm kind of in love with Matthew McConaughey right now. And so that's all right, all right, all right with me. Um, it's an Indian Air Force drone. <laughs> 
I also got to I'm see... I'm a scientist, can't you tell? <laughs> <laughs> I'm world's greatest pilot. I also got to see uh, Neighbors, uh, Seth Rogen, and... What'd you Zach think? Oh, it was a lot of fun. That's so funny. It, but I also so got funny. to see 22 Jump Street. How was that? I thought was hilarious. I still haven't seen the first one. Uh, it gets really meta, and they just go to town on just poking fun at themselves and poking fun at sequels in general. And so it's it's just a good time. Uh, it gets amped up. The the absurdity is just to another level. And so those are a fun pairing uh, together. And so I was excited about that. Uh, the other thing, I've got some exciting things coming in the mail. Uh, I've got a uh, Cornetto Trilogy shirt on the way. And I've also got a uh, my first Loot Crate coming in. Oh, Loot Crate. I love it. Love it. And for those who don't know, Loot Crate is a monthly subscription uh, where they send you like – 40 to $50 worth of nerdy things for $13. And so there are vinyl action figures and T-shirts and all sorts of little collectibles and things like that. And every cool. month there's a theme. We would so. we would accept a sponsorship from Loot Crate, most definitely. Yeah, completely. Uh, you know you know what's great about Loot Crate? You want to jump on this bandwagon, guys, before they start doubling their prices. Because literally, he's not joking. They give you 50 to $60 worth of stuff monthly. Yeah. Every month. It's crazy. I know, this month, I, there's a T-shirt, some... Action figures, collectible things. What's know. the theme this month? A uh, battle, and I know there's there's something Assassin's Creed oh, and cool. Mega Man. That's uh, the Mega Man to... is alluding to, I believe, is actually alluding to Super Smash Brothers because it's getting it's for November, the month that Smash Brothers yeah. Wii U is coming gotcha. out. I think it's going to tie Connect in there. there. Well, and they don't they they also release a, a limited number of boxes that are like Mega boxes. Yeah, Mega yeah. crates in the like this month was like you get the Mega Crate was a Wii U and a 3DS yeah. and Super uh-huh. Smash. Like yeah, they give you like setup. a $500 value box to like, you know, like 200 customers a month yeah. or something. So yeah. it's, it's pretty cool that little thing. Cool. Dustin, well, what's got you fired up, brother? I got a, I got a handful of things that had me fired up this week. Uh, I'm currently doing a rewatch of the Nightmare on Elm Street series. And uh, nice, I like those. Are you gonna, you should watch the documentary again. After I, I, yeah, it. I need to see it again. I'm like watching them now, and then I'm gonna watch it again. Yeah, and because it's like four hours of my life, and it's taking many hours of my life right now. But I'm three episodes in, and uh, man, that show's good. I mean, movies, movies series, whatever. yeah, we, it's so hard TV, to get our vernacular straight. I don't care anymore. And uh, but you know, it, it it really is. Freddy Krueger is one of the most compelling visually icon, um, iconic villains that we've seen in a long time and so i'm loving me some freddy krueger i'm also very very um fired up about lars von trier's um new work in a television series this time english language a la the kingdom i don't have a title at this point but the work is being done and huh. it's coming out and i dig von trier i like the kingdom and wait so the, what's the kingdom it's a television series that he did in uh, Denmark. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's available on the Hulu Plus. Okay. And it's in a uh, hospital, and there are hauntings, maybe. And he's doing an English-language adaptation? Some, no, something else. Okay. But, but it's in the same vein and connection. And, huh. and it's connected to all the rest of his work. And so, yay, Von Trier. It's I connected mean, to all the rest of his work? Well, I mean, you know, the, the thematic. Oh, in visually. terms of being depressing and awful. Gotcha. Yeah, well, there's, yeah, well, cynical. Yeah. Yes. The cynicality, right? He, he hates, hates you, he hates and he wants everything. you to be unhappy. Yeah, he kind of does. Well, he's German. Now he's not really German, but, you know, he sort of has a German soul. Um, <laughs> and all Germans want you to hate yourself. Well, you know, they have like seven words for sadness. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's very specific. There's a thing there. Um, nonetheless, um, last thing I'm fired up about is I'm four episodes into the NBC series Constantine. Yeah, it's pretty good, right? And I dig it. I'm, I think I'm behind by one. It, it's visually really compelling. They're really standalone-y. I mm-hmm. mean, they, they seem to be working Case towards of the an week. arc. Yeah. 
and, yeah. and there's less of the arc integration per episode than I'd like. Mm-hmm. But I, I like the cases of the week and the visual, um, stunning nature of the way they depict what they do with the case of the week makes me say, you know what, I'll watch this again. I like the guy they, they've cast as uh, Constantine as well quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, he's really good. I need to check it out. How amused were you? It, it's so on the nose and a little like NBC punk rock, but the fact that he uh, – the the third episode with the devil record where he listens, oh, listens to the to sex pistols yeah, yeah made me laugh I, I, mean, I, I assumed it I was like as soon I, as they said he's gonna I was like this is the sex pistols because right. why wouldn't yeah because it's yeah. NBC punk rock yeah, yeah. And I was like okay yeah. but still it made me happy it did it made me made me happy made as me well. smile I totally saw it coming so yeah totally well next week dear listener um, as we wrap up what we've got what's got us all fired up was we're going to begin a series of host picks of our favorite movies because next week's episode is episode number 100 and all the way from 100, 102, excuse me, 101 comes after 100, doesn't it? Yes, it it does. And then 102, and then 103, and then 104 will be our host picks of our major main hosts of the show and then uh, number 105 will be our um, final episode of the year, perhaps first episode of the new year, more likely, and uh, we're going to do our Golden Brick. Our 2014 um, GTGC Awards. Our, rather, our Platinum Shelf. Golden Brick, that's another movie podcast, not that's us. A, that's a whole other thing. Um, the, the, the Platinum Shelf and the Hebrew Hammer, we're going to drop um, the thunder down on what's happened the last 52 weeks of good trash, and so it's very, very exciting. But next week's episode... Episode number 100, uh, because of just how the dice fell, it gets to be my pick. Yes, and it does. so we're going to pick our favorite movies, and I'm going to pick the favorite movie that I would love to pick for my dear co-host to watch. And we're going to look at David Lynch's Mulholland Drive. I'm excited. It's going to be a good time. I don't know how Arthur feels about this. We're also going to do our best to integrate um, our centennial into uh, our games each week throughout yes. this, this month. And more on that to come, but we're going to try and work some retrospecty type things into the games we play over the next couple of weeks. I asked Arthur how he felt about this because he's had my copy of Mulholland Drive borrowed for about six months now and has yet it's to watch it. A lot well, of movies. A lot of movies. There, now he's going to force you to. Now, just, just granted, I mean, I've seen more movies this week than I have in about the last six months. <laughs> I feel you, bro. Three. I feel you. So. <laughs> so we're going to take a look at that. And I think if this television miniseries, mini-marathon that we've ran ourselves through over the month of November has taught us nothing. It's taught us this, um, that there is a whole lot of conversation to be had in what seems to be super disposable entertainment. And uh, so we, we challenge you, dear listener, to go watch some good stuff. Just watch some stuff you like. You know, don't, don't, you don't have to necessarily see you know, Goddard or Orson Welles or whatever. Watch the pulpy stuff you dig and then have a conversation about it because that helps us live uh, more meaningful, more thoughtful lives. And that's really what this whole show is all about. And until then, dear listener, we'll see you next time.